All right, welcome to the Chance of Gaming podcast, the fourth episode. And as always, you can reach us at chanceofgaming.com. We're at Chance of Gaming at twitch.tv, uh, patreon.com slash chance of gaming. Uh, it's Chance of Gaming at Twitter. You know, all that stuff is there. Uh, chance of Gaming at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you what you think. And I guess we're going to have to be on our toes this time because we're getting some new ears with uh, people that are just listening to this for the interview that we have later. And with me, uh, as always, is Richard. Hello, guys. Well, just guy tonight. Well, there's guys listening online, so hello, guys, girls, everyone. People, yeah. Roy is out out sick. Um, He was yelling at people too much and lost his voice, I guess. And uh, there you go. So it's, it's us. And uh, the format we use for our little podcast is one of the first things we, we talk about is what are we playing lately? And uh, Richard has got some things to talk about. Absolutely. We've been talking for the first three episodes. I think Legion has come up in every episode. Now I can finally say I have played it. I think at our as of our last podcast, I was just looking at it sitting on my desk and it was calling to me, but now I've actually played it, so... I assume you have as well? Uh, I have observed a couple of games. My okay. Rebels are uh, at the Painter, okay. and my league starts this Thursday. All right, cool. Yeah. So we've got um, – we haven't we haven't started any leagues yet. Everything has just been open play. Um, but I've, I've played three times now, I guess, um, and – Still playing with small armies. Uh, a full army in in Legion is 800 points. Uh, I've played three 400-point games. So they're pretty small just to kind of get the mechanics of the game now. My next game is going to be a 500-point game. Um, and hopefully in another week or so I'll have enough – I've already got enough bought, but enough assembled and painted or at least assembled – to have an 800-point army. I've seen a couple 800-point games out there, so um, the game really, it, it's fun at 400, but it really shines at 800, so I'm looking forward to that. What, what do you think of the mechanics? I like them. I mean, I'm not a, when, my, my wargaming experience is pretty limited. Uh, as far as miniatures, it's basically been X-Wing and Imperial Assault. But I've never played any war games like, you know, Bolt Action or 40K or any of those type games. My war games have always been uh, board war games, you know, things like uh, Hex Encounter, stuff like that. So this is really my first of these type of games, so I don't have a lot to compare it to. But I like it a lot. I, I've seen some other games, and um, one of the reasons that I say that at 400 it's fun, at 800 is really going to shine, is the command system. Um, basically, you've got series of units. You've got you know a series of a few rebels or stormtroopers. Um, you've got a couple speeder bikes or an airspeeder. Uh, you've got this walker called the ATRT. You've got your commander, and in a 400-point game, you've basically got four different groups of units. Whereas in an 800-point game, you're probably going to have six, seven, maybe eight. So it's quite a bit more. And the reason that comes into play is because in the command system. You can only give orders to a very limited number of units, and everything else goes into the bag or gets selected randomly. So if you've only got four units and you've given orders to three of them, 
then you know what's in the bag automatically. If you've given orders to three of them and you got five in the bag, it's a very different feel as to, oh, I really need to move this guy. I hope he comes up next time. Hmm. That is interesting. Yeah. How, how they did that. I noticed it happening, <coughs> but um, wasn't quite uh, sure. I was like, is that kind of like bolt action? I'm like, it is sort of. Yeah, yeah. I haven't played bolt action, but I've seen it played, and I think don't they draw dice out of a cup for that one? Right. Yep. Yeah. So it's kind of like that. It's not dice. It's it's command tokens. Um, one thing that is interesting is when you pull the token out, it can be assigned to any unit of that type. So most of the most of the units are troopers, whether they're stormtroopers or rebel troopers. So you do get some flexibility there because if you've got four trooper units on the board and you pull out a trooper symbol, you can assign that to any one of those. Hmm. But, you know, you're looking for Vader or you're looking for the, yeah. the ATST. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that ATST is he he's big and he is tough. Um, people have figured out that especially with a couple of those and the way the suppression system works out, it's it's not difficult to completely wipe out a unit on the first turn of the game. Because they can throw mortars, which suppress, and if you can get enough suppression tokens on a unit, it causes them to panic. And if they panic, they flee off the board. And if they're starting at the end of the board and they flee backwards, they're just done. Game over for them. All right. Now, does it uh, is it is mission based? Correct. Correct. Yeah, it's objectives. You can win the game by wiping out every other unit on the board. Uh, so far, even in a 400-point game, I have not seen that happen. So it's really unlikely to happen in, a, in an 800-point game. It's completely mission-based. So there's right now, I think there's four different possible missions. I'm assuming that more are coming, and they go everything from you've got to get your units to the other side of the board. You have to claim uh, areas of the board. You have to claim supply tokens. Those are the three I'm thinking of offhand. There's one more, but those are the three I've played. So. I like the release schedule. I like what we have coming down the pipe with Leia, with uh, Solo, with General Veers. You know, you're getting all of these. They just announced, uh, I think, Commandos are coming. And yep. I, I noticed a discussion on that today because they have a medic. And uh, that's the first introduction for that rule in, into the game. Is I Yeah. You can yeah, the rule book mentions medics and engineers, but as of right now, they're not in the game. So we know they're coming. So yeah, that's that. Uh, this I'm really very very interested to see where we are in a year, both in terms of releases and uh, just playability, especially for me locally. It, yeah, because it's Star Wars, man. I've I've got people that have never played a miniature game that is like I've been waiting my whole life for this. I want to play this. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's it'll be great for the hobby because of that. You know, you go, you'll have people that'll play with you, and then you can break out all your Napoleonic stuff. You can say, "Hey, you want to play this?" And they'll go, "Yeah, it looks kind of like Star Wars. Let's play that." So, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> what else have you been playing? So I played a game with my uh, my kids and my wife called Legacy of Dragonhold. It's an FFG game. Have you heard of that one? I have not. So, did you have uh, choose-your-own-adventure books when you were a kid? you remember oh, yeah. those? Absolutely. It's, it's basically what this is. It's an RPG where you make characters, and it's a choose-your-own-adventure. So, um, 
I've heard people different people say different things. Some people love it, some people hate it. Honestly, it's a light RPG that I can play with my family, and I don't have to be the DM, so I'm having fun with it. Um, but it is it's a choose your own adventure game, and in the book it literally says if you do this, read paragraph one thousand, and you got to flip back in the book if you do this. So, but it's 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 a light RPG. You do have different skills, and it'll say things like if. If someone in your party has this skill, you have this option. Otherwise, you have this option. And we just played the introductory adventure so far and had to, you know, make it through the forest and escape some bandits. But it was fun. It's a it's a great light RPG to play with the family. Uh, it looks like the production quality on it is really good. You get a lot in the box, and it's about <laughs> fifty bucks. Looks like from Amazon. Yeah, I think I uh, I think I got on a miniature market for a little less than that. So. Yeah, that sounds about right. It looks like there's it, there's um it's hard to tell how many adventures are in there, but the the books, you know, that box is filled with books pretty much. So there's it's going to have quite a bit of playability in there. Now, I see it has the Runebound logo on the back. Is it attached to that universe? It is. Um and I don't know that much about the Runebound universe, but yes, it is set there. Me neither. Oh, it's the Realms of Terranoth is how it's listed in uh, on BoardGameGeek. Okay. Looks like it came up... Uh, it's apparently Fantasy Flight, you know, invented this universe, and the first game was Battle Mist in 1998, all hmm. the way to Rune Wars, the miniature game, in 2017. So. Yeah. No, I'd never heard of Battle Mist, have you? <laughs> no. No, um, <laughs> I've heard yeah, of Rune Wars, obviously. So yeah. that's yeah. Speaking of Star Wars Legion, when that came out, a lot of people were looking at it early on, saying it looks a lot like a Star Wars skin of Rune Wars. And I guess there are some similarities, but I, from what I understand, people that have played both say they are different. Hmm. All right. And the uh, the next thing was you played Carthoon. Uh, yeah. So Dungeons and Dragons. I haven't played that in a while. I've been playing for my RPGs. I've been playing mostly Star Wars lately, but um, I got a friend who I used to be his DM a while ago, and he's been saying for a while he wanted to DM this Carthoon setting. So it's a uh, it's a system independent book, so you can play it with anything. Um, but it's a full setting, and it's it's made by a guy that does a web comic um, called what's it called? I don't remember. Chad would know, uh, but. Yeah, Chad's a big – this friend of mine is a, a big fan of the webcomic, and he's put out this cartoon setting, and the book's nice. I mean the uh, it's 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 a fully featured world that this guy has come up with, you know, and it's 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 fantasy setting. It's nothing, uh, you know, off the wall or anything. It's not like, you know, Dark Sun or Eberron where it's groundbreaking, um, but it's a fantasy setting with a few quirks here and there, and it looks interesting. So, yeah, but it's uh, – it's the cartoon setting, and we're going to play D&D 5th Edition with it. Hmm. Yeah, it looks like it was kickstarted um, yep. not too long ago. They spent forty two grand uh, uh, building this. And uh, it looks like, it, is it explodingrogue.com? That could be it. I know, I know he said it's based on a webcomic, and so if you're interested in it, um, I think Evil Hat is the name of the Yeah, they're the, the, they're the ones that publish it. It looks like uh, Exploding Rogue is like some kind of um, uh, producer, because they have a multiple projects, games, art, all kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm sure whatever it is is on there. 
looks yeah. interesting. And it, every time I hear about one of those, I'm like, dadgummit, I want to do that. Just <laughs> my own little one-off thing. And yeah. Just, yeah. So I know you love to read RPG books just for the settings. And uh, I got at Drive Through RPG. I got the cartoon setting for the PDF for fifteen bucks. So, not bad for quite a bit of reading material if you like reading RPGs for the settings. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, that <laughs> I do. So yeah, that's <laughs> interesting. And <clears throat> you played Height of Courage again. Yeah. Heights of Heights Courage. of Courage. Is, yeah. yeah. So it's an SCS game, <clears throat> uh, standard combat series, I guess it's called. So, Hex Encounter. Uh, 1973 battle for the Golan Heights Syrians against the Israelis and uh, yeah it's fun so I had it on my my table for quite a while and finally I'm getting around to playing it so it's uh, it's good it's 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 small scale which I like it's got uh, you know good tactical movement you know get around behind guys and cut off supply routes and things like that so yeah, there's a bunch of SCS games out there. This is the only one I have, so this is obviously the only one I've, I've played as well. But so far, so good. I like it. Hmm. Yeah, and I, like I, I mentioned, I have Golan Heights, which is yeah. a similar part of the uh, Fast Action Battles. And, yeah. Uh, a friend of mine was actually mentioned today that there's another scenario had been released for it. I'm actually thinking about doing a good um, cleaning out of my board games. I do this all the time. <laughs> I, I buy a bunch and then, like, don't play them, sell them, and then rebuy them again, like, two years later. I don't know. I don't know what's, what's wrong with me. But, uh, yeah. I just reorganized all mine because I organized my office, and I was looking at a couple of them, and I think I... I've only got a couple that I have never played at all. So I look at those and I'm kind of like, oh, I really got to play this. It's, I need to put that at the top of my shelf so I remind myself to play it. So the next thing we have on our little podcast here is something called What's on Your Radar? And it's just a little section where we're like, hey, I just noticed this thing today. Uh, it could be a game that's been out for like 20 years or it could be something that's due to come out next year. Just something like that. And so it was just what's on your radar. This came across my radar. A lot of Kickstarters on it. And so we're going to talk about that. So the first thing I had was Hero Quest is coming back or is back. Did you ever play this game? I did not, but it's so funny that you mention that because I feel like Chad needs to be on this podcast as so much as I'm talking about him. Um, there's another game that we're going to talk to in a couple minutes here, and the reason he kickstarted this game is because he goes, I played so much Hero Quest when I was a kid, and this one looks like Hero Quest. So I should have just told him, well, play Hero Quest then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently this is the 25th anniversary. And uh, g- apparently, yeah, Games Workshop doesn't have anything to do with this. Um, and uh, it looks like a big, nice production. The, the box is gigantic. The board looks nice. Uh, the figures are all resculpted. I don't think, the, um, of course they are, because, you know, GW owns all the other sculpts. I don't think we've got 3D terrain. Like uh, the original, which I always thought was cool. It had like little chairs and chests and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was cool. And I played it a lot because it was easy and it was. I was able to source it locally in a small town in Mississippi, uh, like in the early 90s. So, you know, I don't. I honestly don't know. Like, I can't remember where it came from. We didn't have a Walmart or anything. It may have been the local comic shop or something. I don't 
know anything about the distribution for it, but uh, yeah, it was it was started my love of dungeon crawlers. Yeah, and, yeah, and there's uh, uh, there's some good dungeon crawlers out there, but this is kind of, kind of the this is in this format anyway. This is definitely one of the the originals. Yeah, this is this is a big nostalgia thing, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's gonna be a whole thing. So um, I'm assuming it is out already, and it looks like it's 110 euros, and which is probably around 150 American. I can't quite understand. Like, yes, yeah, that's, that's the one thing. Oh, there is a crowdfunding campaign for it. Like in in looking at it, I can't. I don't understand like the release or anything like that. It looks like it has been. Uh, yeah, it was kickstarted apparently, and mm. uh, yeah, so it'll be out for us commoners probably later <laughs> in the year. So moving on, uh, this thing that started out as a joke and is now a up to twelve thousand dollar Kickstarter is. You want to? How do you pronounce this? Well, it's German, so I'll just I'll do the Krieg and you do the first part. How about that? Kartoffelkrieg, <laughs> which I assume is German for potato. <laughs> yeah, Potato Wars, and um, yeah, this apparently was a joke, and somebody was like, "No, I can make this into a, or like a real game," and there you go. This is legit. You have some potatoes, and this game will give you plastic parts to put in to have like armor and guns it's mr potato head the war game basically the war game yeah and then you you fight other war potatoes kartoffel krieg and yeah it's it's basically the so you you can get the the game is 39 bucks plus shipping or you could just buy the weapons if you want for 17 yeah because you know potatoes are not included. So what do you get for 39? Do you get potatoes? No. You get get a copy of the game, which I guess gives you like the rules and... Oh, okay. You know, the the extra stuff. You know, how to track your damage and and whatnot. And yeah, the other ones get... You get legs, treads, all this nice fun stuff. So yeah, this ridiculous thing will probably come out and again, I just cannot believe the things that were kickstarted, you know, nowadays. Not that I'm hating yeah. all these people, like I'm just mad that I didn't think about it. That like Dad Gummit, that's a so good idea. So was this a was this an April Fool's gag? I or, don't know. The, the guy know? the guy mentioned it and he said it just started out as a joke and I remember that being passed around and I think it wanna say it was before uh, April Fools that, mm. that it was. It it was just this internet joke, but it could have been it could have been April yeah. Fools, and then they're like, oh know, wait, no, people really want to do this. I know there's been a few internet April Fools gags over the fear, few over the years that people have said we really should do this and make some money from it. The one that comes to mind immediately is a few years ago, Think Geek had a a tauntaun sleeping yes, bag. Yes, you open it up, had the guts and the intestines inside, and they're like, yeah, we should actually make this. Because people are like, no, 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 that's the, cool, the coolest thing ever. We, we yeah. should definitely do this. Yes, yes, do this. So, uh, yeah, I've got to come up with something like that. But I, I really think, like, you can't be successful uh, on these, like, really cool things unless you are or you know someone who is a, like, graphic designer. 
or something. It, you've got to have like a flashy logo. You've got to be able to render like, hey, this is a 3D rendering of what it would look like, or this is a drawing of what it will look like. I can't do any of that stuff. Yeah. So for my joke Kickstarter that I swear I'm going to do one day, just like where I'm, I just want a case of beer, I'm going to hand draw everything. And believe me, if I could 3D uh, design like what a case of beer would look like and put it in there just as a joke, yeah, that's what I would do. <laughs> anyway, moving on, um, another Kickstarter we have is Arena the Contest. Yeah, so this is one that, again theme of the, the night is Chad. Chad was showing this to me. He he bought this one, so I'll be playing this one whenever this comes around next year or whatever. But um yeah, this one looks really good and the 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 sculpts on this one look really detailed. Alright, as we t- as we speak, it is they have raised four hundred and seventy three thousand dollars. Yeah. And they were looking and, for fifty. <laughs> um, a measly fifty grand. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's still 16 days to go. If, yeah. if you're like me, uh, I usually back them in the last 48 hours. Because usually by the time I notice they exist, the early bird stuff is gone. So I'm like, eh, whatever, I'll do this. Uh, I'll look at the stretch goals at the 48-hour mark, and then I'll, I'll decide. And I'll, I'll place my order. This looks like a dungeon crawler. And you said uh, Chad thought it looked a lot like HeroQuest. Yeah, yeah, he said it reminded me of he reminded him of Hero Quest from when he was a kid. It's eighty nine. But this one bucks. does this one does have the three D trials too, which is nice. Okay. Eighty nine bucks and that gets you the core box. And again, you know, we've talked about this before, and I guess like at this point I would come along and I would take a look at this. Like this is funded. So they don't need my money to make this. So <laughs> I could, if I wanted to. I look at eighty nine bucks. The retail on this thing is probably going to be around that. I would say maybe even a hundred. However, I'm sure Miniature Market will have it for twenty or thirty percent less, which will be even less than the Kickstarter price. Yeah. And One so thing should I, I wait? You know, if you're uh, if you're into playing the market, this looks like one of those games that when it first comes out is going to be hard to find, and you'll be able to sell it for twice as much for a few months until the second printing. Yeah. Apparently, that's like the whole thing with Kingdom Death. I know we yeah. mentioned Kingdom Death before. Room I follow Hayden it, like that. and uh, I'm actually getting a group together locally to play it, because uh, we found a couple people that were crazy enough to buy into it. And uh, that it's kind of the thing, is they print a finite amount of it. And that's all. And then when if there is a demand for it again, they'll do another Kickstarter. And so that apparently the cheapest way to buy the game, because you cannot get it anywhere else from except from them, right. is to is to do the Kickstarter. And you'll save yourself about a hundred, hundred and fifty bucks buying it that way. Yeah. So just yeah, it's I don't know. It's it's a strange world we live in now where we have to prepay for stuff. But we don't <laughs> we don't we don't have to. It's a choice. Yeah, well, and I don't have to because I'm going to get to play this one anyway, so I'll uh, let yeah. you know how it is. <laughs> That's true, absolutely. The next Kickstarter we had was Misty. Miss Mystia. That's how. That's Mystia. what I'm going with. I'm going with Mystia. Mystia. Kind of the same kind of game. Um, you know, it's a, it's a little minis on a board game. It's fantasy setting. Looks good. This one looks a little darker. 
probably won't have my eight-year-old playing this one, but yeah, it looks like a, a fun game as well. So this one, uh, lots of minis in it. So Some cool, creepy-looking figures, too. Yeah. I, I'm getting a little bit of a Kingdom Death vibe, for sure. <laughs> yeah, Kingdom Death Light, maybe. Definitely my favorite, uh, he has been unlocked, is uh, Kodror, the Infestation, <laughs> which is essentially like a box with some roots coming out of the bottom. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Looks good. This is really <laughs> interesting. I, I just, you know, when you look at this, it's kind of like you really decide whether you want it kind of based on the, you know, the components. You don't know how it plays or, you know, yeah. you may be able to get an idea but I don't think they could kind of come across with it as like, oh, this is this is what it is. This is how how it will go. This is our revolutionary system, or whatever. So you know, a, a lot of the stuff is based on, like I mentioned, the the 3D design, the graphic design of, of all of this. So, huh? It's yeah. a player controlled dynamic map. Adjacent islands are connected, and a champion you move it. Now this sounds that type of play sounds a lot like a game I picked up at Gen Con last year called Anther... Damn it, I cannot pronounce anything. But it's not my fault. People, they name their, <laughs> they name their games these weird-ass names. Like, I'm going to be really cool. All the good name names are taken. I know. <laughs> Anthurium. A-E-T-H-E-R-I-U-M. Okay. Anthurium. It's by Anvil 8 Games, and it's a similar type of thing. I bought it because the the figures look really, really cool, and the lore sounded neat. But, yeah, you move around on this little grid, these little islands that move around on a grid like that, and then you fight whenever you kind of bump against each other. So, But, yeah, that looks pretty cool. And uh, I guess that brings us to uh, our inaugural interview. This is our fourth episode and our very first interview that uh, we have. And it is with David Estenes, which I'm probably butchering your name, David, and I'm sorry, uh, from the Wargaming Company. And I, as I think of it, I, as I do this, there was one question I forgot to ask. Their, um, their mascot is a penguin, and I wanted to ask what his name was, but I forgot. So anyway. You're just assuming it's Linus? Linus, Linus the penguin? <laughs> yeah. Sure. Maybe it's Blucher. <laughs> oh wait, is there a good P name from Napoleonics? Like uh Perry? Perry the Penguin? <laughs> wait, who was the really good uh British general that uh yeah, Sharp worked for? God gum it. Peninsular campaign. Cause Nelson was the naval guy. Anyway. Not important. I'll edit that out. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> anyway, so through the magic of editing, we will toss now to David. All right, I am talking to David Instinus of the Wargaming Company, which has a, there. A, a nice little penguin mascot, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, the Wargaming Company, I know I've mentioned it on the podcast once or twice, and I've actually ordered uh, some terrain for them, is trying to... Uh, they seem to have brought Napoleonics to be more accessible for the common person. And I had so many questions. I was like, well, I could actually turn this into an interview and put it on the podcast and, and we'll see. So welcome, David, to our tiny little podcast. And boy, do I have some questions for you. 
Hi, that's that's terrific. And um, I, I did not realize that you had bought stuff from us. So hopefully we shipped it properly and quickly and it arrived well. Yeah, no, no complaints. And see, that yeah. was that was the other thing. And re- what got my attention really was I watched the Beast of War interview you guys did at um, Adepticon. Sure. And I was like, oh, okay, wow, he's he's really speaking my language with with this stuff. So yeah, I had tons of questions, and so I was like, yeah, I'll just I'll do this. First, uh, tell me uh, a little bit about your company, like where you guys are located and the history behind it. Sure. Uh, the Wargaming Company, uh, I think we were registered uh, with the with the state in 2015. Um, it's a little nebulous to say when a small company starts. Uh, you know, work on ESR started somewhere in 2009. And uh, ESR is your rule set. Correct. ESR Napoleonics. It's... Uh, it's an easy acronym for a for a French phrase, et sans résultat, which uh, which is meant to be a little bit ironic in that it means with no result. <laughs> it was a uh, uh, after a a rather bloody battle in 1807, one of one of Napoleon's marshals walked over the field and said, "What a massacre!" and with no result. And and it struck us as a a great title for a war game both both because it was period centric to what we were working on um it it said a lot about the futility of of war um and it's it's kind of the opposite of what we want in war games we want a result we want something that is definitive and decisive nobody likes to play the the dozen battles um that are small, indecisive. No one can really tell who wins. Everybody reports victory back home. Um, we we all want to play the big crushing event, uh, and and so we we have sort of a a I don't know unofficial or or lightly publicized motto of of war may be without result, but war games need not be. All right, and you mentioned registered with the state. What state are you located in? Oh, yeah, so we are, uh, we're based out of St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, and we we have some partners in England and, and such, but for the, as far as uh, companies that we work with closely, but uh, but yeah, we, we run out of St. Paul, Minnesota, of a first ring suburb. So we are under a lot of snow all of a sudden after having a completely clear yard just yesterday. <laughs> yes, we it just turns up down in Mississippi, so it just turns cool a little bit. I can't imagine just like, oh, you thought winter was over? Here's a bunch of snow. Oh, it was just strange. We were literally, I, I thought that I was going to have to be finding time to mow the lawn at my house within the next week or so, and instead... I'm going to be, you know, shoveling the next couple of days, apparently. Now, to me, it's really important that you guys are from the U.S. because I see that as as a rarity. Uh, so many cool games come out, cool systems or whatever, and I'm like, oh, wow, that's really cool. And I'm like, oh, I have to order it, and, you know, it's in pounds, and that's going to be expensive, and then I have to ship it over here and all that, and so, yeah. I'm the not. the conversion rates and and the shipping 
can just kill purchasing abroad. Yeah, that's true. The only the only country I like to purchase from, I love Canadian com- companies. Every time DreamPod Nine does a Kickstarter, I head right over there because my dollar goes far. <laughs> I was just gonna say, how long have you been playing Napoleonics? Oh, I got my my first level wargaming was uh, was the American Civil War, um, followed by which I, I got into after visiting Gettysburg as a kid, and then following that I. I Brushed off historicals for a while, and I played an awful lot of BattleTech, um, and and then got got in Napoleonics as an accident as a teenager. I thought that I I didn't know a whole lot about history outside of the United States, and so I I had completely confused the Seven Years' War and Napoleonics, which is probably a really natural thing to do if you're not a European history nut. Um, and so I, I was looking for sort of formal professional military conflicts in, in horse and musket. And I went, oh, again, this Napoleonic thing. And, and I had pictures in my head of Frederick the Great and, and, you know, well-drilled Prussian forces moving around in, in very, very static line formations and things. And it turned out that I didn't know what the heck I was talking about and picked a different period, but I, I fell in love with sort of the grand scope of Napoleonics. It's these huge conflicts. Um, the the largest land battle prior to World War One, at least in in the Western world, happens during the Napoleonic Wars. And which one was that one? Leipzig in 1813. There's about a half million combatants present. Yeah, it's and there's there's quite a few that are large like that. Wagram in 1809 is over 300,000. Borodino in 1812 between the French and Russians is a quarter million. Um, but it's it's strange to consider how they were managing these huge forces of troops. You know, it's before radio. Um, messages are being carried by couriers. Um, troops are being controlled largely by um, regulating elements, i.e., follow the guy next to you. So the, the you know the battalion on the right steps off, and that means that all the battalions to their left step off, and that means that the brigade to the left of that brigade steps off, and the division to the left, etc. And that's how they maintain control of these elements of you know tens of thousands of of men at once and it is it's it's a hard thing to capture on the war games table um a lot of systems really struggle with it i know my attraction to it was uh i joined a war gaming club um in my early 20s and it was a lot of old guys that have been playing since before i was born and <laughs> When you see all those Napoleonic figures on uh, the table, it's like, wow, this is incredible. You know, wow, how do I, you know, I want to play this. And, you know, I had been playing, like, Battletech and 40K and stuff like that, and I foolishly thought that I could just ease into it that way. And I I think my first wake-up call when I was like, well, what rule set are you guys using? And they're like, <laughs> my my own my own that I wrote, you know, or it's, 
you know, it was, well, it's this version with my modifications. Yeah. That, that whole idea was just so alien to me. I was like, whoa, you know, modify the rules. I, I can't imagine. And, you know, and. Doesn't that lead to chaos and confusion and, and the world falling apart? Yeah. Uh, it's It was really, really odd to me um, that, that, you know, that would be it. And then I actually sit and watch them. And I think I saw this terminology mentioned in your Adepticon video. And it was like, wow, you know, they would pay, they would play for two, three hours, move, you know, a total of eight inches and, you know, fire one, one volley, killing one stand. Yeah. That's it. And that just didn't strike me as very fun. And so for years, I've kind of followed along Napoleonics to try to find something more approachable and more easier. And again, calling back to the Adepticon interview you guys did, you guys uh, mentioned uh, Battlefront and Flames of War. What that company did for World War II gaming is just amazing. They're like, wow, you know, all these, you know, we think all these kids would be interested in playing it, so we need to make it more approachable. And they did it the Games Workshop way with uh, points cost, you know, you had to fill, you know, an HQ, two troops, and, you know, all the stuff that kids were used to doing, and it made it really accessible for them to get into the game. And uh, this is what you guys have done with Napoleonics. That, and, that is our goal. We are, we are trying to make perhaps the most inaccessible period more accessible. Uh, tell me, like, how your system works with, like, building an army. Does it does it work like the Flames of War way, or is it more like, oh, we're going to fight Leipzig today, and here's the force list for that? So, so presently, what we've put out to date is all historical scenario-based. So they are, it's, it's that second group of... Here is a historical event that occurred. Here are the troops that were present. Here is what each side was trying to accomplish. And that last factor becomes very, very important because um, people do get very concerned about, is this a fair fight? Well, in, in history, no one's fighting if they think that the battle is fair unless they have no other choice. You always want to be playing with an advantage. Um but really that ends up being that that question ends up turning on what are you trying to accomplish? Um, regardless of the period, whether it's um, whether it's, you know, oh, Germans in World War Two trying to keep the pocket open long enough to get all of their cadre and all of their specialist troops out back into Germany and, and out of France as it collapses around them. Um, or whether it is, um, you know, Na Napoleon trying to hold um, the area around around Leipzig and, until he's able to evacuate back across the bridges as the battle goes against him. It's it's a factor of do I have a fair shot at accomplishing my mission, as it were, uh, and so I might have a lot less troops. But for what I'm trying to do, are they adequate? Um, and there's there's also a question of, of sort of fighting the uphill battle 
of, well, I, I know that this is a long odds fight for me, but that just means that my opponent, my opponent's going to play an easier game. I'm going to play a harder game and I'm going to have bigger bragging rights when I pull this off because I'm sure I can do it. Um, now that, that said, so that's, that's what we've offered to date. We are, we are working and we've, we've shared a bit of this with, um, with people that we are working on putting together a more traditional point building system for forces like a Flames of War or, or a Games Workshop so that you can also have the option of saying, okay, so if I'm going to run, um, a core of French in 1807, um, and I wanted an even up match against the Russians, what would the Russian force be? And, and you could spec that out easy. Okay. And what scale is your system? So that gets to be a little bit odd of a question to answer. Um, the, the box sets of figures that we put out are, are one to 160, i.e. 10 millimeter. Um, and, and we provide basing and flags and figures and all of the pieces are in that box. So you need glue and, and paint. Um, but as far as sort of the scope of the game, it's a grand tactical game. You are talking about moving whole divisions. That is what you are giving an order to. Um, sometimes brigades, generally divisions, and, and you're commanding a corps that's probably made up of Oh, two to five of these large elements. Uh, in terms of like a, a figure to man ratio, there isn't one. Uh, a base is a battalion, for instance. And so it's assumed to be, oh, on average, somewhere in the neighborhood of five to seven hundred men. Um, and a cavalry stand is a squadron group numbering around 200 horse. The, the ground scale of the system is pliable. You can run, it's, it's a ground scale agnostic system, we like to say, in that you can run ESR at one inch is 75 yards. Um, if you've got an existing collection of a whole bunch of 15 millimeter Napoleonics and you want to reuse them for this, you can. Um, if you want to you're just getting into this and you go geez these guys are putting together these brilliant box sets and i don't have to spend an entire weekend trying to figure out where i get the different parts from i can just order this and go um we do those at one inch is 150 yards and the mechanics all play the same and we we just put out different charts for each one of those ground scales so you can download them as a free pdf off of our website and say I bought my box set, I got my one inch is 150 yard charts, and my dining room table is now five by six miles, um, and let's play a game. So what would be the average uh, table size? Um, assuming that you're playing, uh, like I said, with, with our box sets at one to 150 yards, you could play almost any historical scenario we've published on that table you know four by six is huge um a lot of them fit on a four by three um you can you can get you and your buddies around a, a four by six or a little bit larger table very easily okay that's good because that's kind of like the average 
play size. Yeah. For, I know, like 40K and stuff like that. So that really works. We The, the demo games that we ran at, I shouldn't say demo because it means different things in gif- different geography, but the, the introductory games that we put on at, um, at Adepticon, we ran on, I want to say, approximately a, a either a five by six or a seven by six. Uh, and, and we, we like doing those a little bit oversized so that players have a little bit of, um, sort of time before contact. You know, you want, they're getting introduced to a lot of new concepts. And so we, in, in a game like that where you're, you're herding the cats of, of different players coming from different backgrounds and different directions and, wanting to play at different speeds and such. We like having a little bit of, of known quantity in there. Now, tell me about your uh, box sets. I'm looking at these on, and this is their website is thewargamingcompany.com. And you just kind of, uh, I believe it's, nope. If you click on it, sends result. Yeah, no result. <laughs> that doesn't work. That's the rules. So you got to click on the, uh, the box set button. There is a two-player core box set tell me what comes in it sure so we we just released all of these about two weeks ago um yeah two weeks ago we, we started shipping them early they were they were scheduled to ship mid-april but we we have them ready and and so we pushed them out we've got these two player starter boxes um and the the 1809 one sold out last week already, so we are sort of feverishly working in order to get that back in stock. It was it was a lot larger demand than than we were expecting, which is terrific. Um, the each one of the the two player uh, core boxes provides an element of infantry with artillery uh, and an element of cavalry, uh, commanders, bases flags all pre-printed and, and ready to go uh, as well as support vehicles that are used in the game for both the French and an opponent so for the in, for the 1809 box set uh, it's the French and the Austrians and for the 1812 box set it's the French and the Russians and so that way you and your friend could could get that box and split it if you wanted, or or maybe you know you're trying to convince your friend so you pick it up and do all the work ahead of time, um, but get painted up on the table and you could play directly out of that. Okay, when uh, will we see a British box set? Yeah, so the the second most popular question about them is when will the British come out? The first most popular question is actually when will we see Prussians? Um, ah. Which, which I was a little bit surprised with, not because you know people don't love Prussians. A lot of people love Prussians, but I was mostly surprised because the the British lovers tend to be so vocal um, that I I thought that would be the the overwhelming. But um, the the British we are a little bit delaying on in that we want to make sure that we have appropriate Spanish and Portuguese with them um in, introducing just the british by themselves um doesn't really do do justice and so we wanted to make you know the the french had a lot of allies but but it's relatively common for them to fight on their own as well um and it's it's pretty difficult to find a, a time 
that the British were all by themselves. They they very very commonly had a, a Spanish or Portuguese contingent um, assisting them, and so we want to make sure that those are those are ready as well. And what scale are the forces that that come in? Are they six or ten millimeter? They're ten millimeter. Okay. Uh, one to a hundred and sixty is the technical scale, but they are yeah they're they're and they're a little bit big tens. Um, as all things have a bit of scale creep, I want to say they're about, oh, 12 millimeter to the eye, thereabouts. And are you guys making those in-house? Uh, we do those in partnership with um, Magister Militum out of the UK. Okay. Um, we, uh, they're, they're using their existing line with us as, as well as having some... Um, having some additions and such made for the line. Okay. So, like, uh, speaking personally, I've got my 6mm forces, um, and I think I have, see, I've got Russians, I've got Austrians, and, of course, French. Sure. So if I wanted to play your system, what would, be, what would I need to buy in order to, uh, to play it? Sure. So you, you'll need a set of the rules, um, obviously. So you'll need uh, either the essential or complete player's guide. Oh, and what, they, are the, what are the differences there? Yes, the, we get asked this a lot. So the, the essential player's guide is the rule book. That's what it is. Um, the complete player's guide is the contents of the essentials along with a sample scenario and some sample army organizations um, and force organizations for each, the Russians, the French, the British, the Prussians, the Austrians, for for most all of the major campaigns. So if, if you said, um, I'm going to buy one book, you'd probably want it to be the complete player's guide. If you looked at it and said, you know, I don't really like setting up my own scenarios. I really like somebody to have done all the work for me ahead of time. Um, and I just want to be able to pick this up and say, where's my canned scenario? Let's lay out the table and go. Um, then we do this series of um, campaign guides that have both battles for a, for a given campaign, such as the, the 1809 campaign guide is entitled the first battle lost and it's got um 10 historical scenarios i want to say in it uh that you can play linked together if you like there's a point system provided for the value of them maps for both sides based on what you know and what they know all the face force layouts any special rules etc and then a painting guide for every unit in any of those <laughs> scenarios so if you didn't have your stuff banned up and, and you needed to do that, you could you could do it right from that that book. Um, but we'd we'd say, in effect, either pick up a copy of the complete player's guide, or pick up one of our campaign guides along with the essentials. Um, and and um, not to not to make anybody sad at the moment, but we actually sold out of complete player's guides. We had a massive rush on them. Um, last in the last couple of weeks 
and we were we were not expecting that high of demand. So we are rushing to get those back in print. The essentials we've got plenty of, um, and all the campaign guides are in stock. And these all retail for uh, sixty a piece. Uh, the the essentials is forty. Oh yeah. The, um, right. Yep, the essentials is is forty dollars. The uh, the campaign guides and the complete players guide are sixty. Now, are these hardback, softback? They're they're softback. They're what's technically called a concealed coil. So they're they're coiled bound with a wrap around softback cover. So they, if you stick them on your bookshelf, um, there's a spine where you can see what book it is. Um, rather than rather than guessing and have all of those coils clog up your bookshelf, um, but it also just lays flat and you can fold it around the back and such. We've been looking at doing hardback, and I've been a little bit surprised at the amount of um, of I guess pushback may not be the right word, but the the amount of of concern over no no, don't go to hardback. Um, I really like this, you know, this coil bind because it lays so flat and such. Um, yeah, that does sound really handy. I, I like coils, but yeah, I'm, I'm can look to my left here and I have a regiment of foot and the Baroque rule set, but I wouldn't know that cause all I can see is the coils. Yes. And, and so this, this wraparound soft cover is, is nice for that because it does provide you a spine with the title and you can just glance over in there and say, Hey, I've got, um, the first bell lost and roll up that map and, and master the world. And, uh, and you can know the titles of the books just as cleanly and easily. You know, there's, there's a give and take with, with hardback. You have to worry about, um, you know, hardbacks are commonly a lot more durable than than soft cover books, just because they're hardbacks. Um, but they also are a little bit harder to use in that you've got to kind of pin them open so that they don't flip shut on you. You know, even if it sits open in the middle, it probably doesn't sit open towards the beginning or the end. Very true. Now, let me ask you the uh, the question: All frugal gamers are uh, wondering. Are they are they only available through you, or will they be available at like Miniature Market or War Store or anything like that? Uh, currently, they are in the U.S. available predominantly through us. There are a couple of smaller local game stores that we've partnered with to carry them, um, and in in the UK, they're they're sold by Magister Militum for both the UK and EU. So if you have any customers abroad and they go, oh my gosh, I want to get into this, but I don't want to pay, you know, twenty five dollars for shipping on a sixty dollar book because it's ridiculous. Um, they're right, it is ridiculous. Um, you can you can purchase through Magister uh, in those areas for for more reasonable shipping, um, at least more reasonable than we can offer direct. And uh, and we also have Olympian Games in Australia carries our publications. We we haven't spread wide in sort of distribution channels. Um, it's to get into the business side of things a little bit. One of the the good and bad things about broad distribution is you have to manage your reach. 
And so when when we ESR is in its second edition that came out a couple of years ago, um, when we did our our first edition in 2015, we actually had it had it carried it at quite a few different places. The War Store carried it, um, Cavalier Books in the in the UK carried it. Um, on military matters, and and we had I don't know a, a dozen or more fairly well known name places in the U.S. were carrying it, um, but for the most part, the the reach was ours, um, and so we're you know not being a a large outfit like Battlefront or. Um, games workshop and such where they have a lot of control over their distribution channel. We had to kind of manage that, that if, if you're purchasing, um, if you're purchasing our books, that's good. We want you to purchase our books. We want you to be able to find them. Um, if you're finding them because you found our website and then you went to, um, the store up the street, we like that too because we like the store up the street. Um, but we really want the store up the street to find more people like you. Uh, and, and so that's, that's a, kind of a balance to strike. Tell me, what does the, the rest of this year look like for the Wargaming Company? Um, well, our, our, the horizons are wise out at the moment. We've, uh, we've announced another campaign guide, which I want to say will be our sixth. Um, we've got them already for 1805, 1809, 1812, 1813, uh, and 1808 in Iberia, Spain, and, and Portugal. Um, and we will be releasing 1814 later this year. Um, we, we had that available for pre-order at Cold Wars in Pennsylvania and Adepticon outside Chicago. And we'll be um, making announcements very soon, maybe by the time this is uh, live to people, um, that that will be available for pre-order online. That will ship later this year. We're shooting for summer, um, but we cannot guarantee a release date yet. Um, and then in addition, we are looking to um, extend additional box set releases. You know, Right now we've got French and Austrians and, and Russians primarily for, for the mid-war, and we want to get out the rest of the Austrians for the late war, and we're, we're looking at getting out the, the Prussians for the late war so that you'll be able to play from 1809 on um, as, as precisely as you care to. Um, and, and we also need to see what we can get done on those Spanish so that we can, we can move forward with a, with a British release for the peninsula. And uh, any major conventions you'll be attending later? Uh, we'll be at Historicon in July, and uh, we are tentatively planning to be at Fall In uh, in November. And then we're going also to some smaller regional conventions um, down sort of your way. We'll be, uh, we'll be at NashCon uh, outside of Nashville in Franklin, Tennessee, uh, in June, and and then some I, yeah, smaller regional I, cons. I actually passed on NashCon this year. I almost went, <laughs> and um, I ended up doing something else that month. But yeah, uh, I was yeah. That's a really good con for you guys. I think uh, it's it's small, but it's it's great. It's a great convention. 
we we had gone there for our first time last year uh and it it was a it's a fun time it's a nice mix of people that we don't normally get to see because uh historicon was previous this year it's moving back to pennsylvania but was previously for the last several was down in fredericksburg in virginia which we liked because it 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 got us out of of the north of the country and and got us to a, a different audience which was which was good to see uh and then you know this was our first year at adepticon and and frankly i was absolutely blown away by the interest in historicals uh we have very good time at adepticon the the staff were fantastic they were very very professional and very engaged and supportive and the um the interest from the people there it's it's a nice community they're very very positive very energized and they had a lot of interest in in seeing sort of historicals packaged in a way that's useful and accessible to them because the the notion of you know hey you can get a rule set from me but get figures from george but not all the figures because he doesn't make all of them some of them you gotta get from billy and tom down the road does flags but he doesn't do all the flags um george who does the figures might do some of the flags but but typically not and none of them sell bases and it it's just kind of mind-blowing that that this sort of you know walk to school in six feet of snow uphill to you know both ways um mindset has, has prevailed in historicals for so long and and still allowed it to to continue but we're we're trying to break that down and make that a little bit easier for people to get it into i i really think that's what the quote unquote the kids want and you know people should really look at like battlefront success with that that people really want that you know uh i know i always wanted to play historicals but it was just too daunting to get into so i just settled for like 40k you know with with that in the back of my mind like you know man i wish i'd be you know i wish this was a 28 millimeter scale world war ii game i'd i'd much rather push you know these guys around you know oh yeah I really think that's important, and a lot of companies don't realize that. But, I mean, I completely understand the daunting task of trying to make it, you know, as a historical game. Because that's kind of like what you're relying on is the kids to to be interested and come to you. Because usually, the you know, the grognards are kind of like, eh, they might buy your rule set. Because, I mean, they have figures they they've been collecting figures since you know the early 70s they, they've got them all they can one-to-one scale um waterloo if they wanted <laughs> in in their garage but um yeah it's it's gonna be looking for that younger audience i think or just people that have been like hey i've always wanted to get into it but i don't i didn't have a club near me and it, it was just kind of daunting and yeah so i think that will be great that's that's the balance that we're that we're trying to strike, you know, to our our first customers, like you say, we're we're sort of the the legacy war gamers, the the grognards, the the old guard as it were who have been they've got 40 years of figures. Um they've they've got hundreds of rule sets and they're still looking for that perfect one. God bless them for it. Um and you know, and I'm a lot younger guy, but to some degree, I fit 
a portion of that at least. I've I've got bookshelves of of rule sets and such that I've picked up to read or to try or to you know kind of examine and see how did they address these problems or did they address these problems. But the um and and you know that audience does really value the the campaign guide series that we're putting out because it is all the information that they are looking for that they love the research and sometimes most often I'm having this conversation kind of in reverse I'm I'm talking to um people from that chunk of the market instead of the younger chunk of the market and trying to relay that you know it's not that the younger guys hate the research I know a lot of guys in their 20s in their 30s in their early 40s who you know that 20 to 45 bracket who are interested in history and they actually really like historical research and and delving into it and reading about the battles and the personalities involved but they've got to make choices with their time um and they've got generally they've got a spouse they've got kids they've got a job their spouse also works and so how much of their hobby time is going to be playing the game and how much of the hobby time is going to be um reading the books that they want to and how much of their hobby time is going to be doing research in order to buy stuff which is kind of ridiculous itself um and and so they're they're looking for it to be just a little bit easier you know give me a one stop shop where i can go pick up the pieces and get into this and if i can reduce all the prep time um then you know as on the on the years when my my kids are more busy out of the house than in the house then i'll be delving into those different you know research areas and such and their their interest in the period the the younger people's interest in the period is not less valid just because they're young and they don't have a lot of time um i i think that the way that that we bring more people into historicals though is the same way that we bring more people into gaming we figure out what the uh what the hurdles are that prevent them from getting into it and and we work on lessening those so they can enjoy the hobby with all of us well is there anything else you'd like to say or anything we haven't covered that we should cover I just wanted to thank you for reaching out and, and having us on. I had listened to a couple of your podcasts after I heard from you, and they're fun. I enjoy them. So you've, you've got yourself a new listener, and, and hopefully uh, your audience you know found this interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, like I said, I had questions, and I'm like, you know, hey, maybe everybody else has questions. We'll just, we haven't done an interview yet. So let's do it. <laughs> we've uh, if if you go to wargamingcompany.com, we've got an announcements mailing list under the subscribe tab, um, so that you can stay up on what it is that we're doing. We we have a Facebook page that you can like and follow as as well. We don't have anything on Instagram yet, uh, but we are looking at it. And as you asked me earlier about you know other projects and things that are going on this year. One of the big ones is that we are going to be working to get um, short tutorial videos of gameplay um, posted out so that people can see how the mechanics work and and have some sort of demonstrations of the game ahead of time to see if it's what they want to get into. 
I think that would be great. Oh, uh, one one more thing I did forget to mention is I the thing that I have actually ordered from you guys. You guys sell terrain. We do. We uh, we carry a couple different lines um, of of terrain pieces. We carry the uh, Levin miniatures out of from from Levin in in the United Kingdom. Um, and then we also carry the battle scale line of terrain, um, which is sculpted by a, a man named Steve Clay uh, in England. And they, those are fantastic. Both the the eleven figure, the eleven miniatures, yeah, models are uh, in six millimeter. And then Steve does both six millimeter and ten millimeter for us, and, and we carry his products for North America. So they go very, very well with the box sets of Napoleonics. You can um, you can come in, you can find your rule set, you can pick up uh, a box set in order to get started, and then you can stare at your empty table and say, oh, my gosh, I need a village and some hedgerows and some stone walls and a bridge and things, and, and we've got those pieces for you. Yeah, you, there's like 17 pages worth of terrain, and yeah, what I it, it also includes the Vicksburg Courthouse, which is about 50 miles from where I sit right here. <laughs> <laughs> the um the two different those two different lines the the Levin stuff is a lot of iconic buildings like the Vicksburg Courthouse. The majority of the the iconic pieces from from Waterloo, like Hougamont, um and Pleasant Watt Church and such are all there. Um, a, a lot of pieces from the American Civil War can be found in that line. Uh, the the Gaysburg Cemetery gates and the Gaysburg Lutheran Seminary and such are all available. And then the battle scale line. Um, that, that we have sculpted by by Steve is he does all of his stuff in, in by hand in wax and so it's it's all a, a a lost wax casting when he makes his masters effectively the the original they sculpts is is destroyed in that process um, the the detail and the surface texturing is just amazing they take washes just brilliantly. Um, and, and dry brushing as well. So if you're a very lazy building painter as, as I am, they're a very good line for it. Those, those are more generic. You can, you can use them anywhere. He's got a lot of stuff that's appropriate for the American Civil War and American Revolution and, and North America in general. And then a lot that is, um, appropriate for, for Europe, both in, more urban centers as well as um, out in in the rural areas. Well, that's great. I know I that's one of the reasons why I wanted them as I heard they took washes really well. How how'd they turn out? Which ones did you get? Um, <clears throat> I got the Ruin Church, the Hedgerow. And yeah, because that hedgerow just looked. I was like, I've got to put this on. And the ruined wall set, and two more that I have not painted. Okay. So you, I, you when you got the hedgerows and the wall set, you got the big packs of them. 
Yes. 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 The, the the big giant ones. Yeah, because it's a 36-piece hedgerow set and a 36-piece wall set. Yep. Because um, you people ask, you know, oh, should I get the big wall set? And I go, well, have you ever asked yourself, you know, oh, I guess I won't need any more. No, you always need more walls and hedges. You're, you, We never have enough of them on the table. I got the church oh, ruin, and they all painted up really well. Good, good. They, um, one of the nicest things about those is that, you know, a lot of lines of buildings, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm talking unpainted buildings, um, because it's obviously not a concern with pre-painted stuff, but, but with unpainted buildings, a, a lot of them, the release agent that companies use when they cast them, you know, it, it leaves a residue on the buildings. And so you, there are all sorts of different goofy, you know, you use Dawn dish soap and, and scrub it three times in hot water and stuff like that in order to make it so that your paint will stick. And these are not that way at all. They, um, they take a primer very, very easy and they take, um, paint and, and dry brushing without any prep. You can just pull them out of the packaging and, and go to work. Well, David, I certainly thank you for your time, for spending a little time with us here and uh, educating us. And, uh, yeah, and uh, I know myself I'll be uh, placing an order sooner or later to go with I'm – always, I'm always in search for the, uh, the perfect rule set or at least one that plays a little easier. And, uh, yeah, so hopefully other people will as well. Wonderful. Thank you much. And we're back. That was an amazing interview. Don't you agree? Very good. Very good. Very, very educational. And, uh, yeah, hope you guys that listen to this just for the interview will stick around for our next news segment. And, uh, yeah, drop us an email. Let us know what you think, what you like. Rate us on iTunes. That's always good. So moving on to news. This I thought was really, really cool. Uh, are you familiar with Confrontation, Richard? No, not at all. This one's a new one for me. It's news for me. That's why, a, that's why I participate in this podcast, to catch up on the news. I know, yeah. There you go. Way back in the day, um, there was, uh, I want to say Confrontation predates War Machine. I definitely remember it around the same time that War Machine came out. Uh, it's, a Fr- it's Essentially, it's a French uh, 32-ish millimeter skirmish game. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a small amount of figures per side. I mean, it, it's it has a lot with the War Machine formula. You would have these big monsters. You would have blocks of infantry. You would have uh, you know cavalry and uh, wizards and whatnot, or you know. And so it was kind of neat. I I'm a big fan of just uh, werewolves, and they had a werewolf faction, and I cannot think of their name. <laughs> And, oh, yeah, as always, if this is the first time listening, anything we talk about will be listed in our show notes at uh, chanceofgaming.com. And so, uh, yeah, they brought it back. This is the same company that did AT-43, by the way. And since AT-43 died, Confrontation died, and apparently this company, um, this new company is bringing it back, Sans Detour. And uh, when AT-43 was out, Confrontation was out as well as a pre-painted game. And it was pretty neat. 
and uh, the figures were cool. You know, they didn't look as good as AT-43 paint-wise, I didn't think. But, uh, yeah, and so this one's coming back. It's coming back this month. I think later this month we'll get a Kickstarter for it, and I don't know, man. I really dug this game. What Very, very little bit uh, I got to play it. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I may actually end up backing this one. But, you know, then again, you know, that's the whole thing. Should I back it? Should I wait to buy it? And, of course, my biggest freaking problem is, like, you know, I can't find anybody else to play things, to yep. play stuff. That, oh, yeah, that's another thing. Part of the reason why I want to just, like, dump all my board game stuff I don't play is I'm like, you know, screw it. I'm just going to play... Advanced Squad Leader and uh, Federation Commander Online. That's all I'm going to do. It's just through Vassal, just play those two, and I'll be happy. Yeah, we need to get back on Vassal and finish up our game. I know, and then play more. Yeah. I, I really do. <laughs> oh, uh, that does remind me. I guess uh, I don't have this on here, but I will uh, mention it, and I'll drop it in the show notes. Uh, are you familiar with Lock and Load Publishing? Sure. For the longest time, uh, you could only get their product from them directly. And now you can get it from Noble Knight Games. So you can now purchase their games, which are similar in at least scale uh, to Advanced Squad Leader. And, uh, yeah, you can get them at a discount from Noble Knight Games. So there you go. Moving on. (laughs) The next thing we had was Ninja Division is pulling back from Kickstarter. And all I can think is they listened to me. They listened to this podcast. <laughs> I was wondering when you were going to take credit for that. <laughs> they did. They were like, yeah. They're like, oh, my gosh, did you hear the uh, the new Chance of Gaming podcast? I'm like, oh, no, not yet. I always save it for the ride home. What did Adam say? <laughs> no, it was Richard this time. No, <clears throat> Adam, yeah. Essentially, my argument has always been, uh, you know, look, you know, companies, when you get big enough, you can afford to do this yourself. You shouldn't come to me and expect me to prepay for this. Now, granted, I know you're not making me do it, but it's still a whole thing. But Ninja Division has finally decided, you know, I think we're a little big enough. We're big enough to do this. And uh, he does mention uh, added toxicity. Um, And so, yeah, you know, people can get really pissed off with when kickstarters don't deliver or deliver late or or whatever but apparently their last big project on kickstarter was the starfinder masterclass miniatures now i thought about backing that because those miniatures were gorgeous but the reality is is they're going to be in my shop so once it got raised why should i do it they raised four hundred and fifty seven thousand dollars to do those gorgeous figures but I can buy them in my local shop, you know, for cheaper than the Kickstarter. So there you go. Yeah, that's a big move for them, though. I mean, when when your last one raised you half a million dollars for us to say we're not going to do that anymore. Yeah. So see if they stick to, with it. <laughs> to to just be like, you know, we we don't have to. We we, we don't have to do this, you know, I- anymore. And. Uh, Speaking of the last thing in this article, it mentions Stone Mayor was uh, took a highly visible departure from the platform back in 2016. That brings us to our next thing. Um, a friend of mine pointed this out to me: is there they have a new advertising policy because of what we had mentioned in previous podcasts with um, 
the prevalence of pirated games. They yeah. Ha- they have a new policy that takes effect April 15th. So as of this recording, you got six more days. <laughs> v- vendors may not advertise or otherwise promote Stonemaier products at a price lower than 20% MSRP on the Amazon mar- Marketplace. Because that apparently was like the big thing is, you know, this counterfeit game would literally be half of what you would, you know, pay for it. And this is the company that makes Scythe, and uh, they have another company, another game coming out that I think we've mentioned that sounded really cool. Uh, Scythe, Charterstone, Viticulture. Yeah. Yes. He's a he's a St. Louis guy, so I've never met him, but um, I follow his blog, and he actually – he has a – a development game developer workshop that he runs sometimes up at miniature market as well. So, well, see, you could, you could interview him. You, yeah, I might do just, that. Yeah, you could just do sit, that. Just sit down with like, Jamie hey. Stegmeier. Yep. It's like, how's it going? Tell, <laughs> me, about, tell me about this. Oh, yeah. you could bring your bring your copy. Does this look counterfeit to you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next thing we had was Street Fighter the miniatures game. Ah, this is apparently a thing, and I was just going to toss it on here because it's apparently super-duper popular to the tune of seven, as of we we uh, record this, $781,000 with 25 See, days left to go. Okay, now here's one. First of all, I never played much Street Fighter. I mean... I'm one of those guys that any kind of fighting video game, I was strictly a button masher. I, ah, me, me I would too. just mash buttons and hope to get something in. So maybe it's because I was never a big Street Fighter fan, but whatever. It doesn't look that interesting, you know? I mean, if I'm looking at the Kickstarter page, and if I don't care about Street Fighter, if you take the name off this game, I'm going to look at it and go, really? That's it? Yeah, I, I see. In that regard, I don't think it's for you. Yeah, though it's. I, I think they're clearly catering to that one particular audience, and uh, yeah, I, you're absolutely right. It does not look anything like uh, anything groundbreaking or anything like that. It looks like your typical. Let me move my guy around the map, and mm-hmm. I have play a um, card. I, yeah, I have a card. I'll play this card that lets me hit two people, and blah blah blah. That so. do the damage and yep. there you go. That's that's pretty much like what what it looks like. Yeah. There you go. But yeah, the fact that they look like they're on track to go over a million bucks on this thing. I mean, and and all they wanted was a measly four hundred grand, and they've almost doubled that in five days. Yeah. So, Good for them. Yeah. Moving on to uh, yet another Kickstarter. Colleague, well, I mean, I, you know, I will say we talk a lot about Kickstarters, but that's most of the news nowadays. And- yeah, it really is. I mean, like you said, even even big companies often are, are using Kickstarters to launch new products. So, And that's what we have next here. Although, uh, I don't know if Steamforge Games is a big company per se. I don't know. I don't know how you would classify that. But anyway, Steamforge Games, the makers of Guild Ball, are kickstarting a new game called God Tier. A brand new, fast-paced, high-action combat game for two players featuring a variety of classic fantasy miniatures. And, you know, honestly, looking at it, it, it kind of looks a lot like Guild Ball. 
Are yeah. you familiar with Guild Ball at all? I've never played it. I've seen it played, yeah. Yeah. It it looks a lot like that. You know, it's instead of a pitch, you have just this a board that you're playing on. Although it looks like it's hex based. Yeah, yeah, it's hex. Um, whereas, you know, Guild Ball is just straight up three D. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's an interesting concept. It's an interesting idea. And uh, I also didn't know this was a, uh, a European company. I thought they were American for some reason. But interestingly enough, they are basically just pre-selling this game. You can either, I love, you know, okay, you know, with any Kickstarter, it's always like, hey, make a pledge without a, a reward. And usually it's like a dollar, right? Yeah. Right. Not for not for these guys. They're like, eh, we need ten pounds. <laughs> so, uh, which is like fourteen bucks. And um, what's the line from the Pogue song? Lend me ten pounds, and I'll buy you a drink. And mother, wake me in the morning. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but yeah, you can either do that, ten pounds, or for seventy nine pounds, which is one hundred eleven dollars, you get the game, including every stretch goal that they make so right but that those are your only two options yeah it's like you can either give us money which i mean granted what you're supposed to do with that is like you know that just gets you in the system and you can adjust it once it's over uh or just buy the game prepay for the game so it's kind of like eh, you know they're not even kind of pussyfooting around they're like no prepay for this game and this is what you get yeah which some of them look pretty interesting. There's Grim Shallow the Vile. He's a rough, <laughs> he, rough looking customer he need, there. He needs a waffle thin mint. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, I look at this and, you know, may, uh, maybe I'm not the target audience, but it just, it kind of looks like a bunch of other games are out now. And I would want to see the gameplay. I would want to say, you know, what is. You know, take away the miniatures because they do look good. They're well constructed. They're well made. If I could play this with cardboard tokens and have a good time, is it a, is it a good game? That's what I want to know. Yeah, but I mean, we we talk about that on the uh, podcast before. What is a miniature game? Yeah, when you know, especially when it's it's a board. This appear to me is a board game with miniatures. Yeah. So eh, yeah, I, I don't know. But uh, and the other thing is, I always think it's kind of a crowded market. The uh, the fantasy skirmish game. You know, you of course you have Age of Sigmar right there at the front, and right behind it is War Machine and Hordes, and then you know there's a whole lot of other ones like uh, Frostgrave and you know whatnot, and a couple more that I'm anxiously awaiting to come out. Like uh, Oathmark is one, and uh, Burrows and Badgers. Which is which is anthropomorphic uh, animal yeah. skirmish coming from Osprey Games. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's a pretty crowded market, but you know what? All they wanted was a measly forty-two grand, and as of this re- as of this recording, they got three hundred thirty-six thousand. They have two weeks left to go, so yeah, they'll probably cap out o- at around half a million bucks. And uh, yeah, I wonder when it will be delivered. Which that kind of thing is tricky anyway. I've noticed uh, when they say it's it's delivered. The estimated delivery is April 2019. So my guess is uh, December of next year. Yeah, I was about to say that's that might. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I've got I got two Kickstarters from last year 
I think I bought them both over the summer, and I'm not expecting to see them until at least this summer. So, yeah, I think yeah, you're probably always going to be looking at at least a year on a Kickstarter, and that's if if you're lucky. You know, there's still people out there that have been waiting three, four, five years for stuff that is never coming. Oh yeah, and you know we we talked about the Robotech disaster. Yeah, and, yeah. Kickstarter's just a, is a weird thing. I know personally, I'm still waiting. You know, on on a couple on my very first Kickstarter. Oh yeah. You know, we, we talk about this like all the freaking time, and I tell you, you know, Dad Gummit. Uh, I know what sucks with this is like the dude is like from White Dragon Miniatures, you know, and uh, he has uh like shown up at shows and he at uh in in europe and is like got whole other lines of miniatures and stuff like that you know and yeah it it, and so you're like well what what do you do you know how, how does this work you know you're supposed to do this stuff for us and you're like nah i'm gonna do this other thing yeah you know instead so I don't know, man. I don't know. It's it's yeah, and that was my very first uh, miniature game, uh, Kickstarter I ever did. Because I was like, nah, Kickstarter's too risky. Nah, Kickstarter's dumb. You know, so I'm not I'm not gonna do that. And then I'm like, oh man, this game, Shattered Void. I was like, this game looks so freaking cool. I've got to back it. And uh, golly, yeah, they're coming out. I want to say I think it's like. A year and a half or two years late yeah and i even commented i was like it's kind of weird seeing you at shows with new miniature lines and our stuff isn't even <laughs> isn't even delivered so i don't know uh yeah so there you go uh the last but not least thing we have are you familiar with like the wings of glory system yeah so Yes, I am. I know there's a. Uh, is it World War One or that's World War Two, isn't it? It's actually both. Is it both? It, okay, maybe that's why I was confused. Okay. It started with World War One, and then and World War Two, and then is that then, the same system that they use for Star Trek? Uh, or is no, that a no. different one? Okay. And, and then he then he did Sails of Glory. Okay. Which was the Napoleonic's one, and yeah. all this gets you pre-painted miniatures, and it's it's how this game plays. And the game plays exactly like X-Wing. Yeah. So when I saw when I saw X-Wing being played, I'm like, oh my gosh, they totally stole this dude's system. Yeah, that's and then exactly there's how it's played. like I said, there's a Star Trek one also. I don't know if that's the same system, but there's also Dragon Wing, which is like X-Wing except you're flying dragons instead of spaceships. So really, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's called D&D Dragon Wing. It's a it's an actual Dungeons and Dragons product product, but. Looks like X-Wing to me, except you're flying dragons. Well, all that to say, um, the guy that that uh, that does the Wings of Glory system, of the or the Glory system, Andrea Angelino, yeah, I can't pronounce anything, it's just the way it is, or sorry, Andrea Milani, whichever one is here, because this, this whole thing is in Italian and my Google Translate isn't working. Yeah, they're both named Andrea. <laughs> I know. Uh, he's doing Battlestar Galactica. Yeah in his of glory system and it's the uh the reboot is what it looks like because it's all the the current designs and yeah i 
think this will be pretty good. Uh, I know there are a lot of companies that have been doing bootleg figures, and you know who you are, <laughs> uh, for many years. And people have adapted them to play like Full Thrust and uh, different stuff like that. But uh, this, I'm sure, is a licensed product. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a nice little simple way to play it. Yeah, the only thing I can think about this one is comparing this to X-Wing miniatures – the Star Wars universe has a lot more types of ships than the Battlestar Galactic universe does. So lots of ships means lots of product that you can sell. I mean we're in what, wave 13 or 14 of Star Wars miniatures now? I don't know that they're going to be able to do that with Battlestar Galacta. And maybe that's fine. Maybe they've just – honestly, I, the more ships that come out for X-Wing, the less I become interested in it. In a way, they've taken away from the gameplay of X-Wing because there's so much to keep track of now. It might be fun just to play a very simple tactical spaceship game. Yeah, I mean, it should just be fighter on fighter. Well, I think, uh, what, the Colonials had basically two, yeah, they, two different types. Yeah, they had the one that, uh, that the, the – spoilers, the one girl that turned out to be a Cylon that she flew, and then they had the basic the fighter. Yeah. Yeah, the Raptor, and then the um, Dadgummit. What is that called? Uh, I lo- yeah, people are shouting. Oh at yes, the, people uh, are yelling at us right now. I'm sure. It was the Raptor, and the it's Dadgummit. It's an iconic sci-fi ship, and I can't think of the name of it. <laughs> I can see them. I can see pictures of them. I know. what are they called? It's the uh, Starbuck flew a. Viper. And, Viper, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, total, I totally am not going to edit that out because I want to drive people crazy. <laughs> and then the Cylons, they, they only flew – they flew – they only were one kind of fighter, I think. I don't. The Raider, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember them having multiple models. I don't think so either. That's one of my favorite so, episodes, by the way, when – I think it was Starbuck when she, she got inside the thing and flew it. Yep. That was awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. I need to go back and rewatch that. Yeah. I've been thinking about that lately. I haven't watched that in forever. Uh, Didn't like the ending, but yeah, Um, that the very first episode after the miniseries thirty three, the very the the title of it is thirty three, and it's one of the most perfect sci fi episodes ever. That's the one where they're attacking every thirty three minutes. Oh yeah, they have to keep jumping. Oh yes, yeah, oh yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. So well done, yeah. I guess that brings us to the end of our little uh, podcast, and we we hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you'll come back, and you'll write us an email telling us what we did wrong and what we should do better, and rate us on iTunes, whatever, whatever you think, and what's better than HeroQuest. Yeah, this is what we want to hear. So uh, I guess we'll uh, go now, and uh, you go yourself, and have a good time. Play some games, have fun. Good night.